0: Hello, hello! This is a very special episode of Future Fridays with a very good friend, uh, hero of mine, in fact. It's Brendan Kelly of the Lawrence Arms. I consider him um, a, a wonderful friend and a mentor. I absolutely worship the Lawrence Arms. You can tell from listening to our records. I uh, love his writing, back at uh, uh, his blog, bad his blog, Bad Sandwich Chronicles. Uh, the shit he's done with the Falcon, his solo shit under Brendan Kelly and the Wandering Birds, the, uh, his nihilist Arby's Twitter account. The guy is brilliant, and being in his presence is just is just fantastic. He's like he's like the culmination of that 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 quote uh, that um, brevity is the soul of wit. You know, you hang out with Brendan, and the shit that comes out of the guy's mouth is just 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 so good, <laughs> so insightful. So the, uh, the thing about this podcast is that it was recorded over a year and a half ago. I waited to put it out because I was afraid that I was going to let um, the podcast fail. And, and so I'd be um, you know letting uh, Brendan down, letting the, you guys down listen to it, letting um, all the other guests down. And I think that, that was a really stupid way to think and a, and a dumb way to operate and realize that there is no failure in doing something that I love like this. And uh, so many people have come up to me at shows and, and talked about how they enjoyed uh, listening to the episodes, uh, I think uh, it's really time to just kind of let this thing ride. And I'm having so much fun, and I'm just going to put out as many as I can. Um, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to Sean and the folks over at Ridge.com for sending over some uh, awesome stuff. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Ridge makes these heavy-duty, streamlined, kind of minimalist wallets, phone cases, and then bags, which are uh, pretty fantastic for touring. You know, smashing a losing shit on tour is something that happens to me constantly. Because uh, that could be a dumb dumb. But yeah, so thanks. So, so many thanks to the folks at Ridge.com for sending that shit over. All right. Now, for rambling on to one of my favorite conversations with one of the wittiest and insightful people I have the pleasure to know, Brendan Kelly. All right. It's working. But yeah, thank you so much uh, for doing this with me, Brendan. Of course, man. Yeah, man. You've been a, a huge influence on uh, us as a band and also integral part of us becoming. A band on Red Scare. Well, hey, um, you guys are a great band. I'm oh.
1: just happy to be along for the ride.
0: Hell yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I remember the first time that we had met you was at the fest. We were playing at the Market Street Pub, and you came up and introduced yourself at the uh, merch table. And I was like, shit, that's that guy? Fuck yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you got Toby to watch us, and that night we drank a lot of um, liquor, along with the singer of Look Mexico, Well Maddie. Oh, yes. And then he, got to, he had to leave in, a, in an ambulance. <laughs> yeah, well... You know, the, the fuss can be dangerous, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it most certainly is. Um, so I didn't want to go full Nardwar on you, but I was like reading some of your guys' old interviews, and I had some found out some stuff about you that I didn't realize. Okay, you lived in Belgium when you were a kid.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I, I was very, very young, um, okay. like uh, when. Um, so my parents were divorced before I was born, and so as soon as I was like old enough, I think my mom wanted to like get far away from that whole situation yeah um with no disrespect to my dad i think it was just like a you know bad situation and they uh she she went to bounce so we moved and i lived in london and then belgium when i was real little that's like where i learned to speak and stuff like that but i don't have too many memories of it or anything
0: no but, ben you were born in missouri born in missouri
1: yeah yes into a you know uh cast iron bathtub no (laughs) they from what what they tell me i was born in a national hospital
0: (laughs) that's how they do it there and then of course you grew up here in chicago mostly
1: yes correct uh i grew up in boystown which is not that far from where we are right now yeah no shit um and it's like it's the first like i think like municipally recognized gay community in america no shit and um yeah it's a pretty interesting place to grow up uh when i was little it was kind of just becoming boys town and then to see it like really flourish and become like a celebrated part of the community has been you you don't see a lot of i well i I say you don't see a lot of stuff like that as though i've lived a hundred lives i I don't know maybe maybe everybody sees that stuff i don't don't have any idea i I find it to be unusual and cool
0: yeah totally it seems like uh growing up there as a kid if it was just becoming Boys Town, uh, the what we know it as today, that there'd be an influx of uh, kind of, you know, really more open culture. Like yeah,
1: things that well, so there's like a movie theater around the corner from my house, and next to it was a shoe repair place, and I, shoe repair in quotes, because <laughs> it was really like like leather goods, and the the big picture in the front window which is like etched in my brain was this huge, veiny hard on just like strapped up with leather, <laughs> and I was like, "That's a weird foot. That's a weird shoe."
0: <laughs> you ask uh, your mom what it is, you get a weird answer. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. So fascinating, fascinating little uh, part of the world at
0: that time. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you went to Northwestern, which is here, right? Yes. And yes. Did you, or did you go to school for movies? Yeah. Did I, I make that fil- up? Now? Filmmaking, um, and then I
1: had like a heavy concentration in like world literature. But uh, yeah, I went to learn to like make movies, like sort of like the science behind it. Like I was like cutting film with, with cutting film with razor blades and shit Whoa. like that, and like you know developing my own film and like and also doing like screenwriting and directing and photography stuff. But yeah, it was a. I mean, it's a. Bachelor of Science degree that I have, yeah. so it's you
0: know, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, um, I just I felt like when I went to college, I was like, I could, if I if I just like major in like let's say English or history or something like that, I'm basically just getting graded on what I already know. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And like before I went to school, I like I've always been a bit of a luddite and a technophobe, and and I was like, man. I can't even fucking turn on a camera it would be if I'm going to go to college and you know get this like world-class experience I should come out of it knowing something I didn't know when I went in yeah so I picked that sort of as a challenge something that was like still like artsy and fruity enough that I could enjoy
0: it. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, and then totally. but also something that I didn't I didn't have any sort of background in or understanding of. That's awesome. That's like a, a always been a fantasy of mine would be to go to college to learn a skill that don't have any type of, you know, uh, uh, residual or, or anything knowledge about it at all. Like going and just become like a, I don't know, an engineer or something like that.
1: Yeah, totally. That, you know, and I mean, again, I mean, it's not for everyone, but I was just like, you know what? I know that I can read books and my reading comprehension is good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I need to go to like, I could take some classes on the side to, Turned me on to books that I wouldn't otherwise read yeah you know and that was very helpful I mean I think that that's probably the best thing I got out of college was the sort of compendia of uh, titles and authors that I would never have otherwise been exposed to you know and, and I would never pick up on my own like that's so, in a way, I guess I'm undermining my own point here. Yeah, right? <laughs> but, but, came full uh, circle. <laughs> but yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that there's a whole lot of uh, people in of, of the particular position that you and I are in that went to school for English or, you know, one of the ones that you, the joke is that you become a, like a well-read waiter afterwards. Yeah, know? exactly. And, uh, I know I thought that, too, until recently I read a, a quote of somebody talking about how they did major in English and what it allowed them to do as far as communication skills goes, was just like, you know, help them in any other endeavor they went on in life. And I was like, I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Be, like you said, you'd be forced to read and see so many viewpoints that you normally never would. Totally. I mean, like, so I took
1: Latin throughout high school and college. And obviously Latin is, in many ways, a completely useless <laughs> thing to learn.
0: Great lot. But the, Gricolorum.
1: but the, uh, sort of ancillary effect of taking a lot of Latin, it's all, a lot like the Karate Kid where, like, he's, like, waxing cars and painting fences and shit like that uh, for a long time. And then he's like, what the fuck am I doing? And then all of a sudden, Mr. Miyagi's like, check this out. And he's like, oh, I've been learning karate the whole time. (laughs) It's like I I came out of, uh, you know, six years of Latin. I lit a candle in the Latin Honor Society. Yeah, no shit. Oh, yeah. All right. Hey. Very important. Uh, But... but, The, I, I came out the other side with just, like, such a more robust vocabulary and understanding of English, which, uh, you know, shit, that's very helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would imagine that the uh, the Latin Honor Society ceremony would either be the worst party or the greatest party. Uh, the, the, first wait, the first one. The first one? Yeah. I
1: mean, I, mean I, I you know, I was 16 years old. I lit a candle. I set it on some sort of dais. And nice. It was with all the other... Complete dorks like myself that took enough Latin to. I mean, that's the reward. You light a candle. Yep, that was the culmination (laughs) of
0: studying that language. I uh, I took one semester of uh, Latin in high school. I went to the first two years I went to high school, I was transferred to a Catholic school and it was compulsory to take Latin. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, that didn't retain anything.
1: I absolutely uh, wish I could speak another language. I also don't think that my brain is. Like, you, you strike me, you, like, you speak a little Spanish and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, you speak Spanish. Yeah, like, I don't have that. You know, I, I think that, like, I'm a simpleton, and the notion of learning a language that only bolsters my, uh, sort of faculties with the language I already speak was perfect for me, because there's no way that I'm gonna, like, jump into another language yeah, and, dive like, it in. roll with it, you know? It's, it's, it's not for me. I'm I'm too dumb for that, but I. Uh, yeah, I'd recommend Latin. Take, yeah, take no, Latin. Taking
0: going to college. The uh, I always wondered about the difference between movie productions and because we're used to going into a studio with you know four or five people in a band. Yeah, and then you may work with an engineer and a producer, and then maybe someone else may mix it. Someone else might master it, but that's kind of like the extent of. Uh, the collaboration that goes into it. And then I looked at a movie one and there's so much more to it.
1: Oh it's 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 so wild. So I made a movie um in two thousand nine and uh it was just like a kind of dick joke comedy. It's called Buzzard Country. It's about two burnouts that accidentally like stagger into a bunch of money and unwittingly get drawn into like the dumbest criminal underworld in a small town. Um
0: it's pretty funny but yeah, uh yeah. I remember this because this is what you when we first met you were uh, working
1: on yeah and in like you know, for a second, like, I was, like, taking meetings with, like, TriStar and, like, Fox Searchlight and all this stuff, and I was like, I'm about to be, like, a uh, auteur. Never mind the, the dumbest fucking movie. I mean, <laughs> like, every scene, there's, like, a joke about a penis. You know, yeah. like, it, it's not... It's not the kind of thing you really, like, make a career on, but uh, for a second, I thought that uh, things were going places, but it didn't. It kind of, like, languished on the vine. Um, but the th- But the point... I'm getting to is that like I wrote that and edited it and directed it and I was in it along with uh, my partner Nick, who I do the Wandering Birds with. He helped me uh, every step of the way, and it's fascinating how much more like recording music in a studio versus like making a movie. It's like there's like a, recording music is like the 2D version. There's sure. like this whole other like like because there's that component of making a movie
0: yeah
1: right like the the audio like studio recording aspect of it is there but then there's all this other shit and that's the only stuff that anyone pays attention to like you know how like you you go into the studio and you write a song and you like slave over some guitar part or like you watch eric slave over getting this like baseline exactly right yeah and then at the end the only thing anybody notices is the chorus. Yeah. Vocal. Or the
0: weird vocal thing that you yeah. added there that isn't even a line. You know, yeah, like yeah. Some kind of...
1: And, and like, <laughs> and, and it's like that with movies. Like, you do all this stuff and, like, you only notice anything in a movie if it sucks. You know? Otherwise... It's true. You're, you're absorbed into it, right? So it's like the entire process is based around being invisible. But it's... and And there's not the same... It's very, very collaborative in the way that, like, everybody's there to play their position. Yeah. But, like... You know, like I'll say to Neil, like, Oh man, what about if we did this? What if we changed the mood like this? In movies everybody's so specialized, it's like the fucking the gaffer's not gonna go up to the D P and be like, What about this notion?
0: Yeah, totally.
1: You know, because it's just like they work in completely different disciplines. I mean, I actually used the worst possible example because those <laughs> two get those two uh crew members work in tandem quite a bit. Yeah. But you you get the you get the idea. Uh like so you're really you're really much more like sink or swim based on your own, like, uh, siloed, uh, role in the in the thing.
0: But, yeah, it yeah. yeah. seems like it'd be also the inverse, maybe, of that. Like, if you wanted to have micromanaged the movie, like, if you had uh, this kind of creative notion or direction that you wanted to go in, you might not be able to do that because of how specialized the other roles are. Like, other people kind of just in their, their own world and they kind of would be able to dictate what you can and can't do. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, you know, obviously,
0: like, listen, I'm no. Fancy Hollywood
1: movie man, but uh, like I, you know, you. I think that's why something like the Wes Anderson um, catalog is so noteworthy because it's like he clearly is a micromanager of like every detail, right? And it's like that's how that ends up looking, you know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Michael Bay is the same way, and it's just like he. You know he wants to make everything. So this is really interesting. Uh, I uh, when I was in film school, we had to watch a
0: lot of Michael Bay movies, which at the and, time were still like what I'm thinking. They like Transformers and kind of like the big exploding. Yeah, movies yeah, and yeah. Shit. Same, like, same shit. But
1: like uh, this uh, this professor I had was like, look, you need to watch Michael Bay because he is the best. And do you know why he's the best? Because he started out making commercials. So he had 30 seconds to convey an emotion. And you watch a Michael Bay movie, and you might not give a shit about it. It might be the dumbest movie you've ever seen. The characters might be wooden, but it will almost make you cry. And like sure as shit, he's absolutely right. It's like <laughs> the dude's just such a master of knowing like how to manipulate that medium, you know, that's like yeah. it's like these emotions get I'm drawing these emotions out of you by using this technique, this technique, this technique. They're proven, they work. Boom. And that's why I like. You watch Armageddon and you're like this is the dumbest fucking movie I've ever seen why am I like on the verge of tears and why can't I stop thinking about it
0: (laughs) that's awesome I'm gonna take that into consideration I'm gonna watch a Michael Bay movie in the next airplane I'm on you know he had a quote uh, that I read I'm gonna I might not say it exactly but he said somebody was giving him shit in an interview for making um, you know lowbrow action movies or whatever and he kind of he stopped and he was like so I make action movies for teenage boys is that so bad like is there something so wrong with that and I was like Ah, well, I guess not no you're kind of making you're filling that role of cool exploding shit yeah you know like the
1: I'm sure you deal with this all the time I mean more than me more people care about what you do than what I do but like the the no, like now and there's so many things that this like sort of social media culture has like propagated but one thing that I find endlessly fascinating is the notion that suddenly all art has to be about something and like you know it's like the think piece about like actually uh punky brewster was a super woke feminist parable oh, yeah. or like the problematic aspects of family matters and it's like dude these no that is not everything doesn't have to be a thing no like i my uh my buddy uh eric he like went to uh see you for fine art and um he's he's great he was a photographer and a visual artist and stuff and um i was at his house first of all when they had the the exhibit which was like they put it up in the denver art museum and for the graduating class and at the end of the night well everything was normal except for his section there was like crumpled beer cans and a passed out dude <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh that's art that is yes, cool that's like that's <laughs> that's art Right? But um, I was, he was telling me this story and I was looking at some of his pieces that had just been displayed and he had this photograph and it had like a big two-inch thick frame and um, he had hammered these like four-inch nails through every single space in the frame. So it was like, it was like very, it didn't look punk but like that's the best, like Yeah, it was,
0: like industrial. Antecedent
1: or, like, I could give you is like, it looked like a like, super studded like crusty jacket but like with like long four-inch nails, right? And I was like, what's the significance of the nails? And he's like, they look cool. <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. That's what a picture's job is, totally is to look cool. Anything else is just like gravy. A song is supposed to sound cool. A movie is supposed to be watchable. To give it a job beyond that, as an artist, is suicide. And as a viewer,
0: is unbelievably uh, presumptuous. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's so. I think that maybe it's a, a, a reaction to the fact that we're surrounded by so much, so many lies in the face of art, like so many advertisements and so many things that are just vying for our attention or trying to get us to feel certain ways. That we spend money on something that people are grasping for authenticity, and I think that that's like giving people the benefit of the doubt. Who write those things? Really, I think they're just. I don't
1: know. Well, I mean, like intentionality is one thing and like authenticity you say authenticity and bring up advertising. I would argue that advertising is maybe the most authentic art form that there is
0: because I mean straightforward. Because
1: it's it's endgame is on the table. Yeah. Right? It's like the I, I don't have any feelings either way about the strokes. I pick them randomly, but it's like <laughs> They're also advertising. They're selling a product which is like their lifestyle, them, these songs, this music, this merchandise, you yeah. know? And their advertising Sting. is the songs,
0: right? Yeah, and, you can make the, yeah, I think and, you can and say but
1: that. but it's like couching and again, I don't mean the stroke specifically. I was just picking them sure. as a random yeah. band. And there's there's all this like sort of like argument that like, oh, you know, I just don't care. It's just about the songs. And it's like well, if it was really just about the songs, like you wouldn't have like a management team and like be forced to go on tour and like all this kind of shit. like yeah. I mean, there's like a lifestyle that goes along with it and you're selling yourself as somebody that's worthy of living that life.
0: Yeah. Right? You're the first person who uh, brought this up to me years ago about the kind of what you're doing essentially in a band. And not to like do the to, <laughs> do such a distillation of what you said uh, you know unjustly but you were like yeah you're going playing show, uh, music in front of people they sing along and then you ask them to buy a t-shirt like what do you what more do you think you're doing or what less do you think you're doing that is there some kind of great um, uh, virtuosity to it like no. right yeah no
1: it's yeah it's like it's like <laughs> there, there's no like fucking higher calling uh, when it comes to playing music it's really really fun yeah and it's nice but at the end of the day you're like entertaining people who have had a shitty week yeah. you're the best time of their week and then you're like hey listen pay me a little bit of money and then wear my advertisement around <laughs> Yeah,
0: use <laughs> you know? it to identify yourself <laughs>
1: so I, I mean like listen it is the greatest and I'm like so grateful that I've been able to do it and like I've been able to meet people like you and I mean it's like the, the lifestyle is awesome and it's wonderful but it ain't, ain't fucking important at all you know like and I mean Music is very important. For and sure. Music, from a consumption perspective, can be like the difference in somebody's fucking entire uh, worldview and their own attitude towards themselves or whatever. Like, for sure. it's very healing and stuff like that. But when you start taking credit for that as a producer of music, but that's when you end up being completely full of shit.
0: Yeah. Which maybe it's full. Of sh- yeah. I mean, the whole thing itself just circles back to that. And it's just yeah. Hard not to take yourself too seriously. Especially, I always find that it manifests mostly when you're getting your picture taken. Like, uh, they're like, yeah, we're going to do press photo shoots. It's like, okay, well what emotion am I getting you know, how do I relate this back yeah. to yeah it's it's, uh, it's so you also toss another really important lesson when it comes to that and that's they're always going to use the picture where you're holding the fucking rubber chicken like if you're yeah. doing a photo <laughs> shoot and there's any type of like novelty or anything involved they're going to pick that one
1: yeah, yeah when whenever they're like just do this we won't use it just like let's just see how
0: it turns out it's yeah. like that's the one they're absolutely 100% using yeah for sure the one where you have like a bag on your head yeah and the, that, yeah
1: the, uh, <laughs> But we we did the. Uh, the Plea for Peace tour, I, the third one, I guess, um, and uh, Thursday was on it with us, and they were doing their, like, cover shoot for, like, Kerrang! or Revolver or NME, like, one of those big, like, British glossies, and, um, and they were, in, we were at the Electric Factory in Philly, and they were out back, and they were all just, like, you know, like hands like locked in front of them like looking down being very serious and i went up behind the photographer and i just like pulled my balls out over my (laughs) my belt (laughs) and they all just started cracking off and i was like this is the picture you guys should use you know but i mean (laughs) of course but well Yeah.
0: yeah i mean nobody's that cool in those pictures they're all just kind of like putting a shield up i think you know it's like the uh I mean some people Maybe they got like One out of every hundred Is like that cool You know and The Clash cool looked that cool
1: band Promo photo Yeah Is so rare And when you see it When I see one That's actually cool I'm like I will listen to this band Yeah Because it is So unbelievably rare Yeah To, to do it well uh, You know It's kind of the same thing With band names I mean You know it's Like you've been You've done a million interviews Right And people yeah. are like where'd your band name come from? Yeah. And it's like, okay, I can answer this question for every single fucking band that you ever interview for the rest of your life. We were all sitting around, throwing out a bunch of stupid names, and somebody said something, and everyone's like, oh, I don't hate that. Yeah. And there you go. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, there you exactly. Go. That's, yeah. that's like... Yeah.
0: 100% the uh, 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 total process to get that, for sure. Yes. There you go. My, my no, no sweat. We're just making... Uh, we're doing this inside the G-Man um, in Chicago next to Metro. Uh, my favorite bar in the world. Besides Dirty Franks in Philadelphia, it's my first favorite bar and then this Dirty, bar.
1: Dirty Dirty Franks? I don't think I've ever been to Dirty Franks. Nobody ever has. Nobody, you know, it's like, well, it's right that's, in the
0: neighborhood. It's awesome. That's, uh,
1: that's what makes... A great bar
0: Yeah totally It's awesome It's not like a hidden thing That you know Nobody knows about But it's like They had the The Poet Laureate of Philadelphia Was like the bouncer For you know It's like mm. that kind of place mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, um, it's really awesome We're Just running into Really cool people there Yeah well, uh, oh, I was thinking about you Recently while I was in Philly uh, You know Bam Margera's House you can rent On Airbnb
1: Oh really
0: Yeah Yeah
1: I, I spent the night
0: there once Yeah we had I was with you oh, that, yeah. <laughs> That's right <laughs> That night Ooh. that we stayed At Bam Margera's house
1: Good heavens! Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Uh, I, no, you sure. might you might have to forgive me for only remembering uh, Novak spray painting his dick silver and uh, running around in that Visigoth helmet and yep. insisting that I sleep in the yard with him. Yep. Um,
0: that's what I was driving. Yes, uh, so you were was...
1: driving, and then we were with Ben and. Well, it doesn't matter who they yeah, are with. Yeah. None of that's important. But, uh,
0: <laughs> but we, uh, we slept in the in the 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 turret, the giant you, tower. Yes. That's what I always get to say. Yeah, that big spire. There's a, a hole, like a like a latch in the floor that was wooden with a, a key ring on it. He pulled up and climbed up the. Do yeah, th- that's where he slept. Do you think that there's?
1: Still, I slept in one of those hotel rooms.
0: You know how uh, there's that
1: motel inside. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I slept yeah. in the motel room, but. Uh, Yeah, Wild, Um, do you think he still has all those big gigantic murals of Osama Bin Laden all over the place. Now oh, that he's renting shit, it on I Airbnb,
0: that. Yeah, <laughs> there was that in there. I don't know. I mean, no. Not if it's not that he's renting it on Airbnb, I no. Know, I mean, so, you, yeah.
1: you got to figure that's yeah. That's a probably bad, bad
0: luck. Get a coat over that. The weird thing was his cousin that looked and dressed just like him. That was his driver. That was oh like the yeah, cult of personality thing. <laughs> but the, the kicker for me was when we were leaving that morning and that guy, what, the spray painted his dick. Uh, Novak, yeah. We were leaving. We, just, we had to go out of the complex. And there was a giant gate to get out, and we opened the gate, and we were driving. And that guy was just passed out in the field across yeah, the street, that's like, where he, like, a quarter mile away from the house with like a sleeping bag and a football I, helmet like, on. He's like, you and me are sleeping
1: in the yard. I'm like, you and me are not sleeping in the yard, <laughs> actually. You couldn't be more wrong about that. <laughs> yeah.
0: And they were fucking with that guy because he was going to jail for the weekend. He mm-hmm. like the like that weekend jail thing because yeah. he crashed the, the one dude's car or something like that. Holy shit. That was... so.
1: Uh, I don't mean to drive your podcast here, but like hey, uh, hey. back in the day, back in the, back long, long ago, when I was undeservedly um, more famous than Tom, uh, <laughs> he drove me on this weekend tour that I did. It was uh, uh, the guy from Blink One Eighty Two and me <laughs> playing acoustic, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I was doing uh,
0: merch for the guy from Blink One Eighty Two.
1: Yeah, and 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 Tom, I was able to. One of his side hustles before uh, before the big time, he he drove me around and did some merch, and it was a disastrously awesome weekend. I mean, it was so oh, yeah. so fun, but I mean, like I'm I'm dying a full ten years earlier than I was going to because <laughs> of that weekend. Yeah,
0: it was hard to drive, and I, I can't say a lot of what it did because of the fact that I was driving. I mean, I can totally say it, but yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, for sure. That was like the right at the cusp of before my body would not allow me to do those things anymore. Oh, totally. So like right, I think I was yeah, like twenty seven no, or something.
1: There's no living like that now, but it was <laughs> fun times. Yeah, it was wild. That that was the uh, that first night was that was my most disastrous show, and yeah, at the Mercury Lounge yes, in Manhattan. Yes, and it's well, I've had three extremely disastrous shows, and that is one of them, and that one I didn't actually. Get through one single song, nope.
0: which, but people loved it. I mean, you were that, extremely captivated.
1: <laughs> that's that's the thing is that these three terrible shows I played. It was one with the Falcon in Chicago, one uh, that's the one where I fell into the drums. You can still see that clip on YouTube. Oh, of course, to my great great pleasure, <laughs> um, and uh, and then in L.A. when somebody that was the day I decided that I would never do shots again. Because yeah. somebody slipped something in my drink, and like, I went face down on stage, like three minutes into the show, and then I came to afterwards. And Neil was yelling at me, and I was like,
0: "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa what?" Yeah, what happened?
1: And um, and I because called. of
0: that story, I still am wary to like uh, take shots of the fans where our band. Or like, hey, can I buy you a drink? You know, yeah, yeah I was d- like, uh, yeah, sure. But one time, my friend, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> you know, Mike won't, Fat Mike, uh-huh. of No Effects.
1: Um, famous for his uh, punditry regarding uh, <laughs> um, uh, d- 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 mass shootings. Uh, <laughs> but um, Punditry. But Fat Mike is a very sweet, smart, good man with a good soul. That's all I'll say about that. But sure, uh, yeah. he, uh, he will not accept a drink from somebody unless he sees the bartender port and hand it. To him.
0: That's a good idea, especially with a lot of their fans, I would imagine. Yeah, totally. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've learned a lot from him just from that stuff because, you know, but after that show in LA where I was, you know, drugged, I called Matt Skiba uh, and he is, you know, one of my very close friends. And I was just like, dude, I just humiliated myself in front of. It was the first time we'd ever sold out to Troubadour. You know, it was like a big deal. Big fucking deal. And I totally. Boofed it and uh, and he was like, and Matt was like, dude, listen to me. Everything you ever do in this business that you think is embarrassing and humiliating and you hate, that's what everyone will love the most. And everything that you put your heart and soul into and care about, no one will ever notice. And he was not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think he was. No, and it's just fucking grief and it's just fucking uh it's astounding like you can't i mean this entire the entire nature of this whole thing is like so unpredictable and like what sticks and what doesn't yeah is is wild right i mean like i don't even understand like we just finished a tour and we're we have more fans than we've ever had yeah and how's that i mean we're I'm 41 years old. I'm not supposed to be, like, still climbing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, like, I'm supposed to be, like, coming back on a reunion tour to diminishing returns at this point. But, you know. Like, yeah, the
0: unpredictability of the entire thing and that, uh, the fleeting and fickle nature of the what people like is something that, you know, both of us doing this for so long, I've seen bands come up and down and up and down. And we've opened for bands and had uh, seen the way that their relationships work and change. And anytime that we're sitting around now having a couple drinks and people are talking about what people really want or the moving trends or what's going to be big and what's not, it's just fodder, man. To me, it's just kind of like you, this is so wildly unpredictable. I'm not, if someone figured it out, they would have figured it out. You know, like you, you couldn't have
1: said it more succinctly. Yes. If, if there was a formula, we'd all be using it, yeah, exactly. you know, and then it wouldn't be cool. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it becomes like a snake eating its own yeah, no, tail, exactly. right? Because the then it would be like... would
0: make it not... Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it was like, that's what I've always liked about your band, is that, like, you guys just write good songs, and it's not, like, uh, it's not inspired by the the moving seas that are going on around you, and it's like, I mean, for, you know, to a lesser extent, with my band... Like, we were so hated for so long. Like, I mean, when we first started, like, you know, I used to be in that ska band that was fairly popular. And so when we first started, everybody hated the Lawrence Arms because we weren't a ska band, right? And then, like, Emo came around, and we were, like, touring with Thursday and stuff like that. And everybody hated us. I mean, I've told this story so many times, but it is worth repeating we play this festival in new bedford massachusetts called new bedford fest and we come in and we just like long hair just drinking 40s everyone else there is like pretty much straight edge or at least humorless yeah. um and like we have like <laughs> and we have like big like baggy pants it was the late 90s or early 2000s and uh and just like ripped up like flannel shirts and like long hair and like trucker hats with the brims flipped up yeah. and we're drunk. And we go in we're and everybody drunk. in there is just like bangs and sadness and yeah. black.
0: And fear. You know, and
1: we start playing this song uh, called A Toast, which is like one of our old songs. At the time it was a new song. We opened with this song. And uh, after the second chorus, Chris has a guitar solo. And when he got to the guitar solo, the audience erupted into laughter like as though it were a comedy show because like the idea of doing a guitar solo was so like gauche you wow. know, for the time. And then after that it was pop punk and we were on tour with like yellow card and the starting line. And if we didn't fit in with the Thursday fucking crowd and listen, the fucking backflipping fiddle player yeah. set didn't take <laughs> us either. I mean, like we were old men then and I was like 25, you know? And, yeah. And it's just like so. We were always like so hated, but just like we're like okay. These are the only... I, w- I was like these are the only songs I know how to write, and Chris was like these are the only songs I know how to write. So, you know, it's ended up giving us like a longevity. And sure, like, you're saying now
0: they have more fans than ever. That's because the songs that they, they you know hold their own and they hold it for people.
1: Yes, and that's what I like about your band is the same thing. It's like just like a it's like a dedication to. The wellspring of where your ideas come from and the purity of that as opposed to trying to manipulate that into whatever anything else that's going on um, yeah
0: Hell yeah we uh when we uh, are doing um, support tours with uh, like opening up for bigger bands uh, we always use the metric of how many of our fans that are judging by how many Lawrence arms t-shirts you can see per person <laughs> in the in the crowd. So we owe you that. Thank you very well, much. Hey,
1: you know, we, we do try to mark our territory. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hell yeah. But yeah, man, what uh, what have you got coming up?
1: Um. Well, I'm... So what I'm are you do- working on? I'm, I'm doing this uh, Wandering Birds record. I'm trying to get it done by Fest, like, so it's out by Fest. Nice. Um. It is... I've partnered again with Nick, who's, like, my oldest, oldest friend. We've been making music together since we were 12, And when we were kids, he had a four-track. I mean, he's a genius virtuoso. He plays like every instrument. Awesome. And he's been like engineering and recording since he was a little kid. And we used to always make just these very bizarre, like sort of like uh, left of center pop rock kind of weird songs that were just like sort of kind of funny, kind of absurdist or whatever. And we kind of hinted at that a little on the first Wandering Birds record, but this is like all in. It's a very—I'm really, really excited about it. I think, like, if it, let's say it comes out in October, five years from October, people will be like, "Wow, that record's really good." <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: yeah. Hey, that, that uh, what you played for me before sounded great. I'm really excited yeah, to hear yeah. it. I'm fucking Thanks, stoked, man. man.
1: Yeah, it's 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 cool. It's it's like it's not a it's not a rock record at all. It's but it's it's very much like this is the record I've been like training to write with Nick since I was 12, you know, and, and it's, it's really exciting to see it come together and be like, Oh yeah, this music, like I, we've been doing stuff like this for a very long time and we are adept at this and it's, it's really fun. Hell yeah. Yeah.
0: Fuck no. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Well, I thank you so much for uh doing with this me.
1: Oh, dude, uh it's a pleasure. Yeah, In, fuck yeah, with, man. With any anything.
0: Much appreciated. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, it's buddy. Amazing, brother. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening, and a huge thanks to Brendan Kelly, whom I'm hoping to have back uh, so soon. We're currently out on the road. If you think you know somebody that would make for an interesting conversation while I'm out here, email me at tom at futurefriday.net, and I'll see if I can make it happen while we're while we're out on this um, the U.S. tour for Hello Exile. And thanks again to Sean and everybody over at Ridge.com for the awesome uh, wallets and bags and shit. We will see you soon.